0: How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 173. I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and my friend Steve Armistead helped me connect with the one and only B.B. Buell. B.B. is a fashion model, best-selling author, playboy playmate of the month, songwriter, artist, mom to Live Tyler, and of course, in general. The woman is a cult icon. She has seen and done a lot of really fun, fascinating, wild and woolly things. Uh, We talk about her life and her thoughts on politics and raising a kid and uh, being in the limelight and navigating uh, social media and what people will say about you. She talks about David Bowie. Um, That was really fascinating super cool interview. I liked, (laughs) she knows her own mind. I appreciate that in a human being. Uh, Feisty. I would say that she is feisty. Um, I really enjoyed it. Usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, my personal social media is at Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. HeyHumanPodcast.com is the main website for this show. And on there, of course, you'll find the links page that I curate every week. It's got books and articles and music and all sorts of things. Lots of links to BB stuff. So check that out for sure. Please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. And, of course, on the Hey Human main page, you will find the Amazon portal. If you shop Amazon, which I guess at this point most of the world does, uh, do so through that portal, and it helps support Hey Human and keep the show ad-free. You can also donate to Hey Human on the front page there. There's a little donate button. So use that at your leisure and pleasure, and many thanks for that. Uh, I think that's about it. Oh, you can reach me at Susan at com, and... Other than that, I'm really excited for It, Chapter 2, coming out this week. Cannot wait for that. And welcome to September. Fall, not quite in the air, at least not around here, but um, it's coming. It's coming soon. All you kids that got back into school, um, hope you guys do great. Keep an eye out on your fellow students, and if you see somebody that just, you know, Maybe he's a little lonely, maybe eating lunch by themselves, Um, maybe he's wearing clothes that aren't cool or whatever it is. Um, Take a minute. Just be a friend. Go say hey and, you know, make somebody's day. It's a big world out there. It can be very scary. Some kids are coming to school, new school for the first time. I know that I changed schools my senior year. that's a long, complicated story. But anyway, uh, I was so scared the first couple of weeks I ate my lunch in the library because, you know, new school and all the kids seemed to know each other. And then one day I just, you know, got up and went down and started talking to people. But it's really hard to do that. Um, it's hard to, to not feel like a bad idiot when you're new. So anxiety is real. <laughs> Be a friend and help each other out. Okay, that goes for sure too, I guess, at workplaces. Sometimes it feels really awkward to start a new job. So, you know, it's just nice to reach out and be like, hey, I've been there, I know what that feels like. Here's my hand and here's my heart and let's do this together. So anyway, um, hope you have a wonderful beginning of the fall and keep on keeping on and here we go. Let's do this. Phoebe, welcome to Hey Human.
1: And hi. (laughs) Welcome to Nashville.
0: Thanks. I lived here for 13 years before I moved to Los Angeles. Yes.
1: Yeah. And everybody from Los Angeles is moving here and then swapping back.
0: I think there's some sort of unwritten rule that you have to do that. In order for you to go one place, somebody from there has to come to wherever
1: you are. <laughs> well, 100, 100 plus people a day are moving here. Yeah. it's From insane. Chicago to Chicago, New York, and L.A. is where we're getting all our transplants. And a lot of Austiners are trying it to see if they prefer
0: right.
1: which one they like better.
0: Sure. Very How long inter- have you lived here?
1: Um, Since 2012. Did you move
0: from California?
1: No, I'd never lived in California. Oh, okay. I've only visited. Um, I've spent bouts of time there.
0: You seem like a California girl.
1: No, no, no. I'm an East Coast girl, but I did grow up on the beach. That could be the California you're seeing. I grew up on Virginia Beach.
0: Yeah. That's I was beautiful. born in
1: Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. And summered in North Carolina at my grandparents' farm.
0: Also beautiful. Yeah. North Carolina is stunning. So,
1: so I'm a Southern girl, even though I got to New York right out of high school. So. Yeah, because you
0: don't have the Southern drawl thing going on.
1: No, I have a hybrid. I have sort of a mixture. I have a, you know, I'm a Nash Yorker. So I have a, a little, I never did have a real strong accent, though, because my mother was a protocol, Danyan, and she... She's,
0: did she found the protocol?
1: Yeah, she time? did, she did. It it's just was very interesting to, to get all those little perks, you know, so young. I mean, I knew everything about a place setting and a fish fork and a dessert fork and a butter knife. I mean, I, I understood everything. I knew how to set a table for royalty by the time I was 12, and it, it was... Um, It was good. It it, it's a a time. I I mean, at the time, I sort of (laughs) of rebelled against it. But when I went to my first dinner party in the early seventies with Brian Ferry or Mick Jagger, I was really, really happy that I had all those skills because they all, being British, did. And they had never really met that many Americans that they thought had any couth. And it was really difficult. Rock stars were very different in the early 70s, especially the British ones. They were very picky about what girls they dated and who they hung out with. It was not the same (laughs) as it is now. (laughs) Or it's, I think the change came maybe 80s into, I don't know, it it got very strange. But um, it, it, it got me into a lot of wonderful things. It, it these things that my mother taught me. it 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 was um it was useful to me, the tools. And, of course, it's been passed on to my daughter. And I just think good manners are, are nice. I, what's wrong with having them? No,
0: I think it's a lost art. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I've dated a few guys whose kids, I think, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's sit at the table nicely. You oh, don't no. use your knife to pick up your food. <laughs> you yeah, I,
1: I'm just really glad that Liv missed the the the, uh, the computer thing. By the time she was in maybe the 10th grade, mm. we had to get her her first little desktop computer to do school work on, but we didn't have cell phones, and it was a big deal when she got her own answering machine and her own phone line in her room. Yeah. I, I just am so glad that I didn't have to bring up a child with all this, oh my God. There's a lot of information being pounded at kids. It's overkill. It's, for sure. And I, 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 I want people to use their imaginations, and my daughter is such a good parent because she limits all that. And she was very, she kept it limited with Milo, my oldest grandson. And yeah. so it... Um, well, I feel
0: like kids who learn that stuff, they tend to pass it on, too.
1: Well, they're all getting bad necks and bad posture and everything, too. They're going to... So,
0: From staring at the phone.
1: Well, like, in 50 years, people are going to look like hunchbacks. It's going to be weird. It's, We're morphing into something I don't like. I'm... Ugh. Yeah. I'm not a Debbie Downer. I'm a positive person. And I I go through life and I love my art and I appreciate a beautiful day. But I'm really concerned that we have to get things on you've track you've
0: seen a lot in your time. I mean, and yeah. the thing is, is in your age group at least, there's an exponential change. It's not like little tiny micro changes. Well, yeah, I mean, I
1: got to swim when the water was clean. And basically, I mean, it started in the 40s and the 50s with the Industrial Revolution and everything. And in the 50s and the 60s, when they started introducing um, processed food, you know. Uh, Plastics. All you know, stuff. all that stuff. Sure. And I remember it was such a big deal for my mother to let me eat a TV dinner. It would be like on a Friday, you know, to watch chiller theater or something. But, you know, I wasn't allowed to eat that garbage. My mother believed in eating real food, as did my grandparents. But I'm grateful for that. She got me on vitamins when I was a teenager. So so. did you have
0: a pretty um, picturesque childhood?
1: No. I mean, it was... um, it was wrought with, with identity crisis because I didn't have a dad. You know, my parents were divorced when I was two. and Which is unusual back then And the last time I, well, my father was military, and the last time I saw my daddy was when I was, like, five, mm. my fifth birthday, and then I didn't see him again until I was eight months pregnant with Liv. Wow. I went my whole life without even knowing him. So, no, I mean, you. I think... I had a lot of idyllic moments. I think I was just really, really karmically lucky. You know, I got to be part of history and I got to see so many things and I'd be part of uh, moments that I'll never, I mean, I got to be alive when David Bowie was alive and Prince and mm. the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And, I. you know, I, I can't think of a better time to be alive. I mean, I I think about it, you know. Maybe 1780 in English aristocratic, aristocratic. You
0: had to be wealthy to be, <laughs> yeah. be around in those yeah. days, I think.
1: Well, if you weren't wealthy, it probably wasn't much Well, fun. I would have been watching harlots that my daughter's in <laughs> on Hulu, and oh my God, that was such a time in history. The opulence of it for those that were part of the royal. Yeah, if you had oh money, good time. God. If
0: you didn't, it was Insanity. not so fun. Yeah. Maybe fun. You know, It's all very um, But the harlots they infiltrated
1: with royalty because they were so well groomed Mm -hmm. and you know, the harlots had to take especially good care of themselves and they had they were courtesans. They had to be a little bit special they right. couldn't just be the odd hooker on the street excuse me to any hookers because i'm pro Six all workers. that yeah, i know sure. i i'm pro people doing whatever they want sure. with their bodies not that i would do it but, but i i don't see any problem with it but i love harlots if you haven't watched it i haven't or...
0: seen it well there's i don't have hulu
1: it's only three it's so easy to get you get your fire stick amazon fire stick boom your hulu <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: and that's that's live that's on that
1: yeah, yeah, she she started. She wasn't in season one, but two and three. Okay. Yeah, check she it out. she brought a lot of. Um, she's a great actress. It's, she brought a lot of yeah. life to the series. I I mean, I love it. it, yeah. it it's brilliant, but she's uh, doing British accents a lot in her. Oh, that's recent roles and that. Is it surreal as a mom
0: to see a mm-hmm. child? Is it surreal as a mother to see a child doing? You know, some- I
1: think it's. I think it's only surreal to those who haven't experienced it. I think, one, you know, when, it, when you do it, it just seems totally um, organic and mm-hmm. natural. It seems like it should. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's biological yeah.
0: science.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back
0: to you. Um, you are a kid growing up in Virginia and yes. you left home around 17. I read that. Well, summer. no, I, 18 um, 19, after okay. high
1: school. All right. I turned yeah. uh, 18 the summer after graduation. Oh,
0: that's traditional time so really I was finesse. I was
1: 18 by the time I went to to New York mm-hmm. why New York Were you just ready to get that uh, because I had no interest in college at the time sadly which um, you know I look back on some of the whims of, of those days and you just you really you know the song live for today I mean that's kind of how we were we didn't plan you know, didn't save, didn't do any of the sensible things, so a lot of us anyway, you know, my I was born in 53, so I'd say most of my friends within that five year range, sure. they either went into the arts and did very well, well or they became entrepreneurs. And a lot of my friends have become very successful and they're still my friends from when we were young. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. But uh, New York and, you know, my mother just on a whim sent a couple of pictures of me to Super Agent Eileen Ford. And um, we heard from her within three days. I mean, it was that quick, Uh, within three days of what we assumed, probably a week of what we assumed. I guess she opened the letter, saw the pictures and contacted my mother and um, she said, I'd like you to be on the next available plane. I mean, it was that quick. She paid for our flights and put us up in the Mayflower Hotel. And I just remember going to her agency on East 59th Street. She measured me, she weighed me, Mm -hmm. and um, she stared at me and I had a contract. It was it was wild. It happened. She took me around, introduced me to everybody, and then for the first week I lived in her house. And then they put me in a woman's residence called St. Mary's on East 72nd Street. It was run by nuns. <laughs> and uh, it just started from there.
0: Do you remember your first job?
1: Oh yeah, Brides Magazine. A lot of um, that kind of uh, bread and butter work when you were first starting, they like to see you, help you learn the ropes a little. And I mean, some of the girls would get thrust right into Vogue or Harper's. and But I didn't do Vogue or Harper's until 75, 76, the first three years. I was more, um, I did a lot of um, Butterick and... Mm-hmm you know, catalog stuff and bread and butter. I made really good money. I was a a money maker. I started off at $50 an hour and and then I was top rate girl. I was uh, 75 an hour. And then when I had made 100 an hour, I knew that I was, uh, you know, I was considered a really good model. And so when I, I would do Avon, I would do, you know, a Spiegel, <laughs> you know, that, it's just that kind of stuff. Was you it a big
0: culture shock going from where you had been to now you're in New York and you're at work? You know, office. no,
1: I think that I must have had a connection in my some in my DNA or something because nothing seemed out of whack to me. I I started to feel more and more like I was where I belonged. I was looking for my tribe, my people. You know, I was trying to. And when I found them, I knew it. Did you make a lot of
0: friends that first year or so?
1: Well, no, I don't think I was really looking for friends. I was looking more for a tribe my mm, you know your people, people yeah people yeah. that like music and yeah. art and and fashion and literature and poems and oscar wilde i those were the people I wanted to find yeah. a lot of the girls at the woman's residence were very ambitious and you know, they really didn't care about anything but the next audition, and they were very different from me. And um, I quickly met people that that introduced me to this person and that person, and then before I knew it, I was hanging out with a very late night downtown crowd. Sure. Rock and roll crowd. And yeah. I got kicked out of St. Mary's because um I broke curfew too many times. So... By then, I had met Todd Rundgren, and he said, well, why don't you just come and live with me? So that's how it happened. Yeah, it went... But, it, but it's strange. But it was natural, it wasn't... Yeah, I mean, yeah. you fall in love with who you're going to fall in love with. You know, it's you never know who that's going to be. That's- Were you
0: always attracted to the musician type of guy? I'm or not sure, the because
1: man? I never really dated that much. Um, Todd was my first boyfriend of that ilk. Your first love? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I sort of had this boyfriend when I was a senior. Named Harvey, that was in a band, and he was he went on to be kind of uh, very famous. He was he was in the Outlaws, played bass in the Outlaws, and um, and my first boyfriend, my first kiss w- was when I met him. He was into basketball and football, and but he was uh, part of the Cowsill family, Paul Kalsil. And they were a singing family. The Partridge family was based on them, and their mother was in the band, and their little sister, Susan. And they're some of my lifelong friends. I'm still friends with them today. But Paul Castle was my first um, kiss, my first, you know, real crush-crush. And he moved away to be a rock star. So, yeah, I guess I really didn't know any other kind of guy really and i think you just go you birds of a feather you go where your ilk Mm -hmm. your soul finds other like-minded souls i believe but i also am a military kid so we moved a lot and and when you see your stepfather and your father both in their dashing uniforms and you already have an issue with who your dad is it's I think it, it's it's not that weird that I would go for a pageantry fla- or flamboyance <laughs> yeah. or yeah. a big big. My dad had a very big personality, mm-hmm. and he was six one, and and he was uh, he laughed a lot. He 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 and he was a genius. He was and you know he was Mensa IQ. He was a doctor. Mm. He he went on to get his degree in psychology after his term in the military. He left the military at 33. So, I mean, I I come from an incredibly complex, interesting family, so I don't think it's really unusual that my DNA memory would include stuff of that type. Were
0: you able to have the conversation with your dad about why he left and... And all oh, that? sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. None okay. of that stuff really matters in the end. Right. Everybody dies.
0: Everybody does die. So, Probably not today.
1: <laughs> but so the point is you have to learn. The secret is to fix it yourself because everybody's got something. Everybody. You're not going to meet somebody that's void of stuff. Sure. Ever,
0: (laughs) we all come with our luggage for sure,
1: and make sure it's Louis Vuitton. (laughs) Keep keep it nice, (laughs) but (laughs) but (laughs) it's 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 as you get older, you you stop internalizing everybody else's. But if you have an empathic essence, like I, I I'm sort of a natural empath. I feel everything. I feel you know. I have to learn. When to censor it. I don't Mm. like that word boundaries because everybody uses it. It's become like the it word. The metaphysical it word is boundaries. And I'm like, you know, I just think you have to know when to shut yourself off and open the gate again.
0: Mm.
1: For sure. Mm.
0: What were some of the things you learned there as a as a budding into love, especially with gregarious men just for yourself and your own preservation about love what do you think well i you like? know
1: i i i it was shattered you know you i i didn't know faithful men or men that were into the uh sanctity of the traditional union i mean although i had some close friends in our profession that were soulmates and that were married but It was never the the guys I dated. It was always their drummer or their bass player, you know, or something, that had that idyllic, uh, old fashioned viewpoint on life. I always went for. um, I don't know what attracts us to. It's it's a reflection of yourself, I guess. I, I guess you know. When I was very young, I saw myself the same way, maybe. I, I, You know, it's all a big mystery. You start wondering, is it past life? Is it genetic DNA memory? Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that sometimes past life memory is just DNA memory. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that. That's part of it. But then you get this kid, you know, this five-year-old kid that uh, remembers the war. And draws the airplanes. Oh yeah, I read about that kid. And knows where his mother is and finds her. Yeah. As a five year old, his hundred year old mother. I just (laughs) sort of believe in all of it. Yeah. I think it's all happened and I believe in the whole multi dimensional aspect of everything. So I I think And
0: why not? I mean, I don't know, why limit yourself to one life? I mean, heck yeah, bring it all on. Let's see what else we can learn. (laughs)
1: But also I think, you know, and I think our souls know a lot of people that we cross with Mm -hmm. and I think we know who those people are and we find each other again. Sometimes we make the same mistakes with the same people over and over and you just have to keep on working on it Mm -hmm. if that's what you choose to do. Sometimes I think a soul feels like, okay, I've addressed this issue enough. That's obviously not going to work. So your soul goes again, you know, to another place, maybe. I, I'm i not sure. I just don't believe that I'd it's... I'd like to
0: think we get better and smarter in yeah, our
1: choices. I think so. I think some souls are not very evolved at all. And they it takes a long time for them to even get, you know, a little bit, a little inch in the road. Mm-hmm. But as my grandmother used to say, it takes all kinds. Yeah. And... It's interesting, uh,
0: you've dated some very famous, very, again, uh, charismatic men, Mm -hmm. but uh, but you eschew the, the term groupie, although that's what they used to call women who dated rock stars, but to me a groupie is not... It's like I don't know letter. what it
1: is. It, it's a word that I. It's 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 a, it's a derogatory, Actually, sadly, that's what I term yeah. that they call women. They don't call guys that, right? Exactly. So I'm trying to figure out what is a guy that goes after, or, or hooks up with Cher, she, he's a bagel boy. You know, they uh, people be, are jealous. No, I so. mean,
0: I think that's the bottom line. And right? they have
1: to create a term, a derogatory term that sets you apart from them, yeah. and, that you must have done something unholy <laughs> to get the attention of that human.
0: Also, I think there's a lot of hang-ups around sexuality and owning one's own sexuality. Yeah, I'm
1: the like, most hung up in the world about sex. I mean, are? sadly, because of the way I was raised and because of some traumatic issues that mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. you, you know I've never been uh, considered the best shag I mean I, I doubt you'll see that on my tombstone and I can guarantee you that if you were to interview or talk to any man that's ever made love to me he's not gonna go hmm, that B.B. she was something in the sack you know no that that that's not what I'll be remembered for ever. and um what do you bring good brain I give good brain yeah so I I just don't know I I have um a gift from God I guess or or something that's just who I am where I like to connect with other creative people and what comes from that is whatever it is whatever the soup is whatever the casserole is the outcome is usually good
0: are you finding that here in Nashville
1: I find it everywhere I go. I only go where I'm led. Yeah, okay. You know, people say, why are you moving to Nashville? I don't have any clue. I'm just listening to my inner voice, and the vortex drew me in. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It was, it, you know, some people are afraid to take risks. And it's very scary when you're very entrenched. I had a beautiful house in Rutherford, New Jersey, which is six miles outside of New York City, with panoramic views of Manhattan, in a beautiful stone townhouse in my husband's town that he grew up in. My husband's a Jersey boy. We just celebrated also a our seventh. Oh, of course. Uh, you, a, a musician can't really live without a like minded soul because we're not. We're not normal. <laughs> I In cut you off. You
0: said you just celebrated your...
1: 17th wedding anniversary. Oh, happy
0: yeah, anniversary. Yeah, we've
1: been together 20 years. But, um, but, but he has a job as well. You know, I mean, we uh, do alternative things. It, you know, I do a lot of writing and public speaking. And yeah, you have a best-selling book. I have one. It's my autobiography. I haven't written another book yet. That was, my book is now, I'd say, 18 years old. So going on. You've lived
0: a lot of life since
1: then. It's time to write a second book. (laughs) Oh yeah, Deaf. I think the second one will be a lot more interesting, frankly, because I think there's a lot of people my age now. People are living longer, and I think a lot of people that were born in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, um, we are uh, part of. Some of us are stronger because we missed all the horrible stuff that they're doing to everything now Uh, the things they put in food oh my god people ask why i'm a vegetarian would you eat an animal the way they treat them and kill them in this country i mean i just could not even imagine i don't even know how anybody can think that's juicy and awesome to eat in a pig or a a cow i I just don't get it i don't is your whole family vegetarian no no god no just you your husband's not Yes. Oh, he is, okay. Of course, and so is my daughter to some on-and-off extent. You know, she craves things sometimes, but I think eventually with her best friend being Stella McCartney and stuff, I think eventually she will go completely away. You know, for a while I would eat a chicken if, if I knew where the chicken lived and how it died. and His name, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, it didn't ha- and it didn't have, you know horrible hormones and steroids put in it.
0: I think if it were, it's getting easier, and it certainly depends on where you live, but the easier it becomes to eat like that, the better off.
1: I can't eat fish anymore either because of what we're doing to the ocean. I just can't. I, 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 I look at a fish, and I think of Linda McCartney and how she would say that the fish, you take it out of water, and it hurts. They can't breathe. now they can't
0: breathe in the water (laughs) it's terrible
1: the whole thing just I don't want to eat plastic I don't want to I'm just uh, I'm getting to the point now where I don't know I just I get very upset even when I see a commercial on TV that shows a piece of rare meat or something I feel like I'm going to throw up I've gotten to a place where I just can't connect with hurting mm. anything. I can't connect with suffering and animal being be abused and and for my food and the burning of the rainforest to make room for more cows when less people are eating meat on the planet. So this dictator that they've got, I, it's, it's a whole in Brazil, yeah. It's just, you know, yeah, but the, 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 we're rampant with these kind of yeah. leaders right now and they've got to go.
0: Yeah, it's a... It's a thing with people that are in that kind of power, the power begins to corrupt them, I think. It's just it seems no, well inevitable uh, and it's been like that. For
1: I don't a very know. Long time. I just think they don't have empathy. They're missing that chip. No, it's empathy doesn't make money. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it does. Yeah. You just have to know Beyond Burgers doing pretty darn good. So Absolutely. is the impossible it's good, burger. The,
0: which is the one with the pea protein? I actually really enjoy it. Impossible.
1: That. That was very good. And the impossible you can get now at Burger King, for Christ's sake.
0: I'm celiac, so I can't eat wheat, gluten, right. rye, barley, mm-hmm. or wheat, and so that may, that's the next level of complication when trying to live a meat-free lifestyle, because so much is has a binder of wheat gluten. Well,
1: you don't want to eat those poor animals anyway. Not the way they're killed and treated in this country. We kill in one day in America as many cows as they kill in France in two years there's there's that causes an imbalance karmically in your your body your system your cells all that's connected sure
0: but for farmers who that's their livelihood i don't know that they know what an option would be
1: farmers have options to be kind to the animals
0: oh and how they slaughter for sure and how and how they they sell
1: yeah i think more farmers and, and, are looking into and that what thing. they do to their product yeah we've got a lot of kind part of farmers in the t- in tennessee
0: and it is a responsibility as a person who eats food to know where your food is coming exactly from
1: and, like how and how it's
0: handled if you eat eggs
1: from a happy chicken that's like rrr, 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 look at my eggs you know look at my beautiful blue and green eggs I, I, You know, I don't see anything—I I personally have chosen not to, but I don't see anything wrong if somebody wants to have a fresh farm egg sure. and once in a while or a beautiful cheese from a happy cow that's worshipped and treated kindly right. or yogurt or any of that kind of stuff. I, I see what you're saying. I I don't see And I it. do
0: think that there are farms that are ethical with the way they do things, and there are many that aren't, unfortunately. And so as consumers, oh, it's horrible. we have to be aware of— which ones do which, if you choose to eat that kind of food. Because I do believe that when uh, an animal is slaughtered in fear with a great deal of pain, that then, of course, courses through its
1: blood, and then you're eating that. Yeah, that's cancer. It's carcinogenic. It's called fear adrenaline, and it's what's released into the human body, too, when you're killed. Um, It's the same thing. And... um, Those poor animals, they're so innocent. You know, they are so trusting and they're so innocent. And the dog
0: festivals, what they do to those uh, dogs is so disturbing, beyond disturbing. And they think that it seasons the meat. Well, you know what?
1: That is ignorant. Well, it's a cultural thing, too. And You know, but in 50 years, hopefully people like that won't exist anymore. I'm hoping that a that, a, that, yeah. that a new consciousness is going to move in and, and people like that are gone. I'm sorry. I just don't have any any place for them in my life or my thoughts except for pity. Do you uh, grow
0: vegetables and stuff
1: on your No. Own? no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't live the kind of lifestyle that I could tend to any oh, okay. vegetables, but yeah. I do go to farmer's markets. I have lots of friends that have tons of shit excuse my french i didn't no, know you can and um people often do on here <laughs> i uh get gifted a lot of stuff too sometimes so much that i don't even know what to do with it all so i sometimes have to gift my neighbor who likes to make pickles with my five thousand cucumbers that are gifted to me and but um oh
0: god i love a good pickle
1: yeah mm-hmm. i i do too and um I mean, I would love to have the lifestyle where I have time to, I mean, I had a garden with Todd one time in the early 70s. We had a, that lasted for two seasons, you know, two years we did it. But it's a lot of work and you have to have the time on your hands to do it. My neighbors behind us, they have bees. Mm. So we have two big beehives, so I get fresh honey. That's nice. Mm, It is nice. Yeah, that's lovely.
0: Uh, when you when did you get into music as a performer yourself? Was that something that you had always done?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, it starts with me. It started in choir. It mm-hmm. started because uh, I was the only alto in my entire all-girl boarding school, all ages. I was like, you know, a contra alto, not just an alto. Yeah, you got a low voice. There's a sopranos, and there's, but, but I have a high voice when I speak. And when I was young, I had a higher voice when I sang. It, it's just, it, it all has to do with um, life and age, you know, changes your voice. But at the time, I was what was called a contra alto, which when you're 11 years old, you get to only sing certain things. And usually they would save me for solos and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, so it started off with that, and then then the class uh, mass, We I went to boarding school 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and we'd have folk mask, and Debbie Drinkwater and Annette Zamba would play acoustic guitar, and I asked the nuns if I could play tambourine, because I wanted to play what Mick Jagger, when I saw Mick Jagger play, the tambourine and the harmonica. I started playing that when I was pretty young, and. So I I was into maracas and percussion-y kind of instruments and tambourine and things like that. So I think it started in school. I I knew that I had an unusual voice. I knew it wasn't going to be a common kind of voice. I think um, I always had fantasies of being a singer, but my mother pushed me to the modeling thing because she thought it would be good money for me and a good career, you know, something that, whereas... Even then, whenever you you know would say you want to be in a band, people were like, "Oh, that's not a very good choice. You don't know if you're going to make it or not." Yeah, things so, haven't changed, right? <laughs> so no, so you know, I I, I got a, I, I started with my music in public in front of people around 78, 79. and then I went into the studio with Rick Ocasek and in his band, The Cars. And they took me in and recorded two songs with me, and then I worked with Rick Derringer on two more, and that became a record. So I guess I was about twenty-six when I got into my first band. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's a little bit later in life for most people, right? They kind of jump into it, but you had a lot of the modeling stuff keeping. But you I on. had a
1: lot of experience um, being on stage from, you know being part of that world for so long I had tons of experience I had sung you know in people's basements and living rooms and houses my whole life that's how it all happened Rico Kasich heard me one night and he said you know we're taking you in the studio I you know it, it, it. just the cars are so good it just got to the point where I was singing so much you know when we'd be at parties or mm-hmm. at, uh, hanging out and I I would often get asked at parties, you know, to sing for private parties. When I was just known as a model or somebody's girlfriend, I would often, you know, she can sing and she's really weird. It's like Edith Piaf on acid. So you know, it's like sort of that kind of thing. So I, I would sometimes do like quirky performances. So I was, uh, I did performance art. I hung out at Max's for Christ's sake. I mean, everybody was a performer in Max's. You learn very quickly um, because there's always somebody with a movie camera, somebody with something. Even though back then we didn't take pictures of everything like we do now. I mean, with our phone now, it's like everything. But I always laugh because some of the most important people in my life, I have maybe one or two pictures of me with that person. I have no pictures of me with my grandparents. (laughs) Zero yeah maybe two or three pictures of me with my dad and so that has followed me in my life other times when people would be like oh, oh i gotta get a picture of this that's back when you had to carry your stupid little camera i always thought that i was way too cool to do that and i would never do it i I, I, I thought it would be sort of wrong mm. and then mm. now it's it, it's it's look at I, I love instagram i've but it's become my diary so are you on there on Instagram, yeah, of course. What's your I am. Instagram? It's um, Buell.
0: Oh, well, that's easy. I'll <laughs> put a link to that on the. On
1: it's the got a little website. blue check too, so yeah. people will know which is the real one because there's a lot of um, impostures. Yeah.
0: Did you have an understanding as you were growing up of your beauty and your the power of that?
1: Well, I think you you sort of get it. I mean, you know that. I mean, you're not clueless. But I don't think that when you're actually the person living in the skin, I don't think that's how you wake up. That's, you know, maybe the movie Mean Girls, that's how they wake up. But you are insecure and and don't feel beautiful just like everybody else. Um, The only time I really felt my power with beauty was when I was in front of the camera. And I enjoyed the art of it. Mm. the creation between the photographer and the, and the model or the, or the person f- being used for the photo. I, I, uh, I enjoyed the creative part of it so much, just the whole ritual, the makeup and the clothes and the planning and the lighting. And, you know, people say, what was it like doing Playboy? Was it sexy? No, <laughs> it was horribly hard. It was like you get into a pose and they would say, hold that. And you're contorted, literally. You're twisted around like a pretzel. And they're like, hold that. And so, yeah, you can't walk for four days when you're done shooting a Playboy layout. (laughs) What made you transition into that? Um, I don't know. You know, it it was just a rebellious thing I wanted to do. And my friend Patty Smith said to me, oh, you know, Bridget Bardot and Jane Barkin and... Betty Page, I mean, she was listing off all the women that had done play. Marilyn Monroe was the first person to ever do Playboy. And I just thought those were the kind of women that I aspired to. I thought they were the, they were the free spirits, the rebels. So I associated um, the art of doing something like that. I did not know that I would get, you know, fired from my modeling agency and have to go to Europe to, you know, do fashion work again, where they don't care about nudity. Oh, we don't care that you've been in Playboy. I did Revlon. I did Wella. I did Enoxa. I did all kinds. I had all kinds of contracts in Europe um, after Playboy. None in America.
0: Hmm. So Again, that puritanical.
1: It's very interesting how strange it is. Um, But it was Wilhelmina, the modeling agent that was sort of... um, in competition with Eileen Ford. She had once been a Ford model, and she was a a model. Then she left and started her own agency. And I'll never forget Willie. She was something. And I remember going into her office, and I said, well, Eileen, you know, said, I, I did Playboy. I can't be a Ford model anymore. And she laughed, and she said, we'll just send you off to Paris and London and Milano, and they'll forget about it. She said, it's not a big deal. We'll have that book we'll get that. She was right. I went to London first and I was working within three days yeah. for British Vogue and Barry Ladigan and Clive Aerosmith and Bailey, David Bailey. It was instant. It was insane. It, um, but it, it, it upset my mother because you know, I had that look. I had that Cheryl Teague's B- B- Sybil Shepherd, all-American girl look that was so big.
0: Mm-hmm. And during
1: the time. And and, a
0: hell of and of measurements and, were perfect,
1: But I went too. rogue. Yeah. You know, I went rogue. I went rock and roll, as yeah. they say. So they would all, call. I got called all kinds of things. The rock and roll model, you know, wild child. I got um, called everything but groupie. The groupie thing didn't come till later when okay. I feel that journalists got, they even called, the one that they called me all the time was, Friend to the Stars. <laughs> that always made me laugh.
0: That's a great title and, and, for a TV show. And um,
1: You could uh, star in your own sitcom. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, reading about Lily Langtree as a young girl and still to this day adoring her and her friendship with Oscar Wilde. And they called her a professional beauty. And I thought... They did it to women even then, when they could not understand your beauty or your, your delivery of your beauty. They had to come up with some kind of crazy name for you. So definitely, I had my own little category. I was probably the only rock and roll girl that had been a fashion model and done a Playboy centerfold and done all these things, and then tumbled out of the the ball of the yarn, the ball of yarn, in front of a mic stand. <laughs> and and i it, it it's it's your own story your own journey
0: how is that for you having a daughter and knowing that you were such an empowered
1: like you understood your body well i had a lot of help yeah you know i was a single mother I, if i hadn't been for my mother and my cousin annie you know i don't think i would have been able to do it i it, it i had a lot of a lot of help i didn't have nannies per se or that kind of thing but i had a very a powerful female warrior Uh, It was a wolf pack, basically. And uh, we buckled under and we did it. It wasn't until around 91 when her paternity became public that I had to just stop everything and become like 100% a mom. Mm -hmm. Her identity was incredibly sacred at that point. I didn't want it to be put into the crazy blender. Yeah. So I, for six years, I was chained to a desk, and I did managerial work. I worked for Liv, I worked for Debbie Harry a little, I worked for another actress called Charlize. Um, what was her name? Sh- Sherris Michaelson. That was her name. And Johnny Zander. I had a couple of clients, and but it really wasn't it wasn't the right kind of work for me. An artist, once you're an artist, you're always an artist. It's very difficult to wear the managerial hat when you have the sensitivity of an artist because I find all the great managers, the ones I observed anyway, were cutthroats and could go really nasty very quickly. That's not who I am. So as soon as Liv left home, I was on my mentor's doorstep, where can I get a band? Find me a band. I mean, I was just desperate to get get to work. You know, so it's been that way since 98.
0: Do you think if you hadn't gone into the modeling, you would have jumped right into the music? Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. If I had met my Chris Stein or my Dave Stewart, you know, like Debbie Harry or Annie Lennox, if I had met my mentor earlier, if I had met somebody that said, come on, we're going to start a band. I mean, because back then, I'll, if you think about it, that's how it happened for a lot of the great front people. Um, even Janis Joplin, you know, it was big brother in the holding company that got her brilliance out to the public. Um, I, I think that if I had had the opportunity. I think back then women were really only allowed to be one thing or be classified as one thing. And as soon as I started dating a rock star, any aspirations of me becoming one would have looked, I probably would have been laughed at maybe because I was known as a model. And so it, I, it's all very limiting. You have to just fight.
0: I feel like that's still the case because when you read about models who want to get into music or actors who want to get into music or musicians who want to act, mm. suddenly the press just
1: goes it, crazy about it. It just depends. Like, look at Bowie, brilliant actor, oh, such brilliant question. musician. Yeah. I'm not going to mention certain people's names, but then there's other people that try to act and they just can't act. Mm-hmm. And then there's other actors that are like Beverly, D'Angelo, Sissy, Spacek. These are all women that have beautiful voices. You know, when I first met Kim Basinger, it was in the office of Bearsville Records, which was Todd's label through Warner Brothers. When I first met Kim Basinger, who's the same age as I am, we're born the same year, she had her guitar. She was in Paul Fishkin's office to be heard for an audition for a record deal. Hmm. And I have never heard a better... I mean, she was so talented, I I, I couldn't believe it. And then, because of her beauty, she got whisked off by Breck. Remember Breck? Mm -hmm. And she got a Breck thing, and the next thing she knew, she was this huge model. But here's the point. It's like a lot of these people, they start off as something else, and they or they can do both. There's some people that can effortlessly do that. I was able to do it. I was able to go from modeling to singing because it was who part of who I am. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not like I didn't just say, oh, I'm gonna be a singer today. I've been singing my whole life. So
0: <laughs> it's uh, interesting though I think there is this weird the press um, they're unkind there there's that element of it. There's also this that, in order for people to rise up in their ranks, they, they rely on the, the press to get the word out. And then the press turns on them so much.
1: Well, it de- you know, it really depends. I, you, you, the momentum and how you, how you stay with, with, the, with, with the media and with the public is very important. I don't try to um, pretend that I'm, I'm trying to sell as many records as Pink. You know, I, I, I enjoy my cult status. I know who I am and but i can still put on a show and sell out a room in 7 minutes it's it's do you perform out much these days i do yeah, I, I mean when I, I when i when i can it, you know when i you know i can't keep a band on salary cuz it would just be ridiculously pointless but i i write all the time you mm. know i'm i'm a songwriter this is what i do so my my catalog is is enormous at this point um, I get up on stage with other people quite often. I have a single coming out with the Dandy Warhols on Black Friday, which is November 26th, and the Dandy Warhols are one of my favorite bands, and I've gone on stage with them a few times, and we decided to record Femme Fatel." That's great. So, um, you know, I I just... I'm getting ready to make it, start another album. I I just keep putting my stuff out there. I'm not looking for anything but the self-satisfaction that I get and, and, and whatever my handful of fans are, my 40,000 followers on Instagram, sure. you know, the, I do it for them. And I get, I get a lot out of it. I get a lot out of um, resonating. Does it tickle you that you are, in fact, a cult? Hero of sorts, a cult legend. At this point, I think that it, they have to have a name for everything. I think I'm just—I I hate this word because it gets used as much as uh, boundaries. Yeah. I'm a survivor. You know, I—I I, have—I uh, didn't fall into the hands of the drugs. I—I didn't let them get me. I didn't let broken hearts destroy me. And um, I met somebody that truly loves me and takes care of me. 20 years ago. Um, so I'm lucky. I, I'm just one of those people that ha- I have a strong family. I have a beautiful child. So I can list all the things that are, uh, I should be grateful for. Hmm. And, of course, there's uh, I could say, oh boy, I wish uh, I had as much money as uh, Madonna but, or, or whatever, you know, but... Uh, I would probably not have any anyway because I would be so busy saving things. I'd be building elephant sanctuaries and rhino sanctuaries, and I'd be traveling all over the world trying to save everything. If have I had Madonna's the, money,
0: yeah, right. <laughs> have you visited the elephant sanctuary here? I
1: have not. Oh, uh, you
0: got to do that. There's a wolf sanctuary here too. That but I didn't think the elephant
1: sanctuary was open to the public. For you,
0: I'm sure. You, I'm sure you could. Get I could in get there. a private tour. I bet you. Yeah. I would yeah. just give anything. I think certain people, they they will show around, especially given um, your Instagram. You can talk about it. It helps bring... Um,
1: well, anybody that follows me on Instagram knows that I, uh, you know, am a big, big animal activist. Yeah, I and, bet they give
0: you a tour. And environmental activist. you can go to the act- wolf one. The wolf sanctuary is incredible. These wolves <gasps> are so stunning. Do they let you love them? Yeah. Well, you can. you can... Kind of, there's, I think, one or two that will let you pet their, their I know doses, that we, but we have some, some of them you're not supposed we, to. We
1: have a couple of friends that we know in Austin that do the hybrids, the mm-hmm. wolf-dog hybrids. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. I was writing uh, at this guy, Jordan. He lived on the property at uh, Jordan's house, and... Uh, Right as the the night came and the the moon started to come up, and then they all started, all the wolves started singing. Oh, my God, it's incredible. Well, you know,
1: dogs, my dogs, I have a pug and a mutt. Um, You know, my dogs will howl with me. We do this whole little ritual. When my husband and I come, we go, ooh, and they cock their heads back. So it is an instinct within dogs. Yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely. It's a call of the wild, as they say.
1: I don't know, but my little babies, they howl. They howl their little butts off. They're the cutest things. But it's only when I come home. It's like this little ritual. Like, oh, she's home. Everybody's happy. Ow! And we all do it together. Who are you uh, working on the record with? The whole record, the one that's coming out? Well, the one that I just put out. My husband produced it, oh, okay. you know, and and um, I play with various musicians around town. I play with Dave Rowe on bass. Um, he played with Johnny Cash for 20 years. I have Sandy Janeiro, my friend from New York who played with... Pat I mean I always say Pat Benatar he's going to kill me with <laughs> with Cindy Lopper and Joan Jett he played with both of them for a decade you know it was he's my drummer when I play in town and he lives here now too and I have uh, Peter Gallinari another friend from New York that's on keys and um I mean, I've got my little Rat Pack, and I also guess, I get on stage with people a lot. If the long players ask me to get up and sing, I get up with them, or the Rock and Roll Residency, they're like my family. I sing every time they play. I mean, it's... So I, I am on stage quite a bit, mm-hmm. It's but locally. New York, Nashville, you know... New York's and, fun to play. You know, I would tour in a heartbeat. Yeah, but it is so expensive. Yes, it is. You know, when <laughs> it's just ridiculous, and so therefore, you know, I'm trying to look at alternative ways to tour. And after my single with the Dandy Warhols comes comes out, you'll see what that is. Well, maybe I you could do
0: Patreon or something. I
1: just can't run my mouth right now, but yeah, uh, but I'm definitely well, I'm definitely going to Japan. I can tell you that much. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely doing a little tour of Japan, which is going to be awesome and wonderful, because I have a lot of fans in Japan and I've not yet played Japan, so it's time. Yeah. Absolutely. Thing about y- y- my fans is they 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 grow with me, and a lot of the younger fans I have. Um, it's this new ilk of kids that love the 70s and love the 80s and they just want to be scholars on both eras and little 60s too they they just sort of love the fashion they love the music they love the era Um, I don't I find that um, ageism and that kind of thing when you're Somebody like me, it doesn't have as much impact as as I I see a lot of people struggling with that. Oh, I'm too old. I'm 20. (gasps) And I'm thinking, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Have they done that to you? Has this country done that to you? We're the only country that does this
0: you don't think europe is no not like
1: not like america you go to an italian beach or a french beach you're going to see an 80 year old woman in a bikini that's
0: true yeah getting
1: served a drink by her 40 year old lover i mean it's (laughs)
0: Amen. you know it's
1: just an entirely different way of thinking that's gonna be
0: me i
1: hope (laughs) you know i i just uh my husband is going to be 53 He's 13 years younger than That's, me. I'm going to end up with a younger man, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't plan it. I've always dated older guys. And, and till, um, until, I, as I got older, the older guys stopped being interested in me. And younger men were interested in me. Mm. So it, 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 I think when I dated Charles, we formed the gargoyles together. He was six years younger than me and um but 13 years my husband's 30 but we've been together 20 years yeah. so it works
0: i'm curious you mentioned a minute ago about that you avoided the drug pitfall how yeah. did you manage it i mean i know that for that people are either have addictive personalities or not. But That's you, right. That's how personally? I survived because yeah, I okay. tried everything.
1: Yeah, all right. I right. mean, I, I tried it so all. So wasn't that you avoided. But you if just... I didn't like it, I didn't go back for seconds. Sure. You know, it's like when I tried heroin, it made me throw up and it made me miserable and it made me sick. Mm. So why would I find that, that attractive? My friends that became junkies were people that kept going back for more. I'm thinking, why would you want to take something that you know is making you vomit and making you sick? And why? They needed that numb. I never wanted to be numb. You know, I enjoyed pot. I enjoyed tripping once in a while. But that went away too as I got a little bit older. I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) It's just, you. once you get what you get out of taking a drug like LSD or psilocybin or or some psychedelic, it's the first one or two experiences are really the most important. People that keep on taking it, they just want to get high. But if you really want to get something out of it, see things and hear things and learn things... It only takes one or two trips anything past that is just you know cinematic or <laughs> sure.
0: psychedelia which is still enjoyable I, I had yeah. a lot of acid in high school and, mm-hmm. and I loved it and I did learn a lot I um, haven't really gone back to it so
1: yeah I mean I did all my all, I did all that so I was done with all that by the time I was 30. Mm-hmm.
0: But I get why people do do it. Oh, you know? me
1: too. I mean, I have friends now that are all constantly yeah trying to the give mic- me mushrooms and oh. Microdosing want- is very oh, popular. Let's go do mushrooms, and yeah. I'm like, no. It works for some people. I just. Oh, I know.
0: I always find that when I'm first of all, drugs hit me quite hard. Yeah. Anyway, so I <laughs> I was at I had a weekend. Some girlfriends came over, and we were swimming in the pool, and. One of them brought a joint, and I took one puff of that joint, and I was redonkulously high. I'm like, this is not comfortable anymore. (laughs) Like, it's fun for the first time. Well, some of the pot,
1: though, was very strong.
0: Oh, man, it was nuts.
1: I mean, some of this hydroponic stuff that they call it the puffy pot, puffy pot, uh, it's like, man, it's too strong. I don't enjoy being that high either. Who does? Um, I just never needed anything on a repeat basis. So I guess I don't have an addictive personality. I'm lucky.
0: Yeah, I'm same. And I uh, have a curious mind. So once you've experienced the experience, you go to the next yeah. thing that makes you curious.
1: But you know, I have some friends, if they were to do one line of something, the next thing you know, they're ordering hookers. They're ordering a case of bourbon. They are ordering, I, I mean, what can I tell you? It's, yeah. uh, some people can't handle it.
0: Yeah. Well, that that gene is.
1: I'm just powerful. so fortunate. Yeah, I, I did not. I did not get that gene, and I've watched a lot of my friends die. I mean, I've lost a lot of people to drugs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's. Ugh, I just can't. Or the damage. I mean, even if they quit the drugs, they did so much damage that their kidneys and their liver and all Brain. that kind of stuff start to go on yeah. them. My oldest
0: uh, half brother, Matt. He. Uh, he did so much blow and a lot of heroin in his growing up time and then one day he had an aneurysm and it ripped out basically his frontal lobe so he's still alive but he's not he's not the mat that he was yeah bless his heart yeah but you know it's hard on the brain oh it is blood vessels and
1: it is it is it is and um but you know, young. When you're young, you have to go through it. You have Absolutely. to, because I, I just say if you have any questions about life, go watch The Lion King. sums it all up, right there. <laughs> Is he there. getting blow in that movie? <laughs> well, the equivalent. You know, he doesn't listen when <laughs> yeah. when mom says. Don't go that way. Don't go there. Don't do that. I just try and picture
0: you raising up a kid, thinking all the things that you have seen and experienced. Because I think about, uh, like, my friends who are just now having kids. And, you know, I'm like, oh, are you going to be honest with them about stuff? And they're like, no, God, no. And, I mean, for you, it's different because you're, you know, there's a trail. Liv Liv was
1: always around people smoking pot and stuff. She knows the difference. My kid is really smart. She knows the difference. and.
0: But as a parent I'm saying like going okay now I've got a you yeah. know I've got all this world around me
1: and well you know big brother started starts sometimes you know even in grade school they'll say if you smell this or they'll have those officers come to give talks yeah, to the, the class dare, if the you smell dare this school? at your house or if you see this at your house you come and tell your teacher that's wrong Yeah. to teach children to turn their parents yeah, in yeah, it's that's pretty insane hardcore. yeah that is wrong. Unless
0: the kids are being hurt. That's a whole other exactly. story.
1: Exactly. Well, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. We're not talking no, about that. We're talking about kids that probably the worst they'll ever see is their dad or mom smoking a joint. I wish my
0: mom had smoked pot. She would have been a
1: lot more chill. I think. I, yeah, believe me. I would, uh, pot... It, what they're learning about pot and how good it is for people—it's—it's just.
0: She smokes it now. I just wish she had smoked it when I was young. Cannabis. I know she eats it. I
1: guess cannabis is it heals.
0: Absolutely, it's, I'm a big I like, like you. I am people can do whatever they want with their bodies. It's their body, right? And, and it's not for me to decide. It's it's just it's none of my business what you do with your life. Right. So,
1: that's right. But it'll be legal. Uh, I give it five years everywhere, maximum you mean? everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's getting there. I it think is Tennessee. They're, they're chewing on it. They're thinking about it.
1: Well, they know better. I mean, look they at hemp. Pot farms I there. mean, hemp could save the world.
0: Yeah. Well, there's people again,
1: money that don't but want hemp it. could save the world. Yeah. It could make people rich too.
0: Yeah, I know. It, that's the thing. it takes a leap of faith of getting over the the hump, as it
1: were. Yeah. To. to Put away the fossil fuel and move into solar and move into wind and move into all of that. I mean, what the Trump administration is doing is they're just trying to milk every penny they can because they know it's coming to an end. Kids that just turned 18, they're voting next year. We've just got to get our heads out of our asses. We've got such a beautiful country. We, we're so lucky. We're so fortunate. We've got to stop fracking. We've got to stop raping. We've got to stop, you know, unprotecting protected land. We've got to stop slaughtering billion cows a year. I mean, what is what is wrong with us? It's. It, I know she made the money but It's symbol, all money.
0: It's just money. But... It, 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 <laughs>
1: What is it going to matter well, if we but humans- what, 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 what's what's the money going to do? It's when not that, when that's
0: them, logic. You're using yeah. logic for something yeah. that doesn't
1: I mean, they say, get silver and get gold because eventually money will mean nothing and we're going to go back. None of it's going to matter. Some scientists say 12 years? What are you, crazy? We've got 18 months before this thing is irreversible.
0: Re- well, the world is, she's she's kicking our ass. Yeah, we, right. we
1: really need to wake up and get things going. We got to get things moving. The election cannot come soon enough. We have to change right away. We we've, I don't care who the nominee is. I, I don't care if it's a rhinoceros. I keep using that word a lot today. I love rhinos. Yeah, clearly. but that if,
0: if, if, so your spirit animal.
1: But uh, no, actually, no. My spirit an- animal is a crazy little unicorn. Really? <laughs> no, monkeys. Monkeys. Oh, look at that. Your shirt. Monkey Man is my favorite Rolling Stones song. And I am just a monkey woman, too. No, I love monkeys. This is vintage. This is very old. This what do you, like, you
0: listen to for music, by the way? What is the... Like, I you liked? St-
1: I listened to Little Stevens Underground Garage uh-huh. on a Sirius, Sirius, which plays all mm-hmm. stuff, everything mm-hmm. from the eras that I love. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Like, I just heard um, a great Huda Guru song. Called Cracking Up, I'm Cracking Up. And I just remembered how good the song is. You know, it's just you, I like a variety. But I also, when I travel, I listen to the Stones, the Almond Brothers. I, I love classic rock. You yeah. know, I like, uh, I like the good stuff. It is good stuff.
0: I was lucky because my brothers are so much older than I am. And so when their musical taste trickled down mm-hmm. into me, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. My eldest brother wouldn't even talk to me until I'd listened to a few records. Oh, yeah, that now. Well,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that stuff was important. It was a rite of passage. Yeah. It was certain records reflected certain changes for certain people. Yeah. So,
0: now, do, you, do you have siblings? No. No, okay. So I'm an only child.
1: only child. I mean, my cousin Annie was kind of raised as my sister.
0: Okay.
1: My yeah. mother adopted her when she was 16.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, what's coming for you? Besides the record, but it's coming just in general. A
1: a pretty big coffee table book publisher. I don't have a deal with them yet, so that's why I don't want to say their name. Um, But they have been talking to me Mm -hmm. about uh, doing a, you know, a big beautiful coffee table book of all my personal photos, f- photos that uh, my Polaroids, uh, pictures that have n- never been seen before, um, st- stuff from my childhood and, and early 70s, pictures uh, my Polaroids of Bowie and things like that. So I'm thinking of that. I- I've been challenging myself for the last few years trying to compile just the pictures that would be used for something like this. So that has been such a big journey for me, going through all my archives and going through all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. You, you dated Bowie, correct? Well. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, we didn't have a sexual relationship, but we were friends and comrades, and we hung out and we did stuff together, like going to... It's Radio City Music Hall, going to the top of the Empire State Building. I took him to the Jersey Shore. He wanted to see where Bruce Springsteen lived because he was such a big Boss fan. He was a big Springsteen fan. And um, as a matter of fact, the first time I saw Springsteen was upstairs at Max's in 1973, and he was on the piano. Um, singing these songs without a band. And there was, like, nobody there, just, like, few people. And Bowie took me to that. So Bowie was um, a secret, you know, Springsteen fan way before Springsteen blew up, because, you know, in 77, he blew up and became the biggest thing in the world. Wasn't he on Time and Newsweek at the same time or something crazy? That's great, but... But he... But <laughs> but, but um, I'll tell you... Bowie loved his songwriting and mm-hmm. thought it was you know, so cinematic and he wanted to see the place that the songs were about. He wanted to see Asbury Park. And back in 73, Asbury Park was not as um, cleaned up as it is now. It was, but it did have that fabulous amusement park and it still had the convention hall where you could go see bands. But um, he was like a child. You know, he wanted to get the fried dough. He wanted, you know, candy apple. He he wanted to walk on the boardwalk. He wanted cotton candy. He wanted to smell it. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to smell what Bruce Springsteen smelled. <laughs> it was hilarious.
0: That's so cool.
1: Yeah. And at that t- point, I didn't even know who Bruce Springsteen was, basically. And it, w- it was just ironic, you know, the, f- the success he went on to achieve three years three years later. Bowie had that little vision about him. Just knew it. Yeah. And he kept leaning over to me going, can you believe these lyrics? Aren't they amazing? And I, you know, I had to agree that, yeah, I don't know how he gets so much said, you know, because he would say so much. Mm. And uh, it was very inspiring. But so Bowie, um, yeah, he remained a lifelong friend. And he even came to my daughter's first wedding in 2003. And the party afterwards. And uh, I adore Iman. She's just a lovely, lovely woman, and I think he really found true happiness when he met her. And uh, after his heart attack, though, he had a heart attack around 2004, and uh, that sort of changed everything. But, you know, he continued to smoke. British. <laughs> but uh, he, he continued to smoke his cigarettes. He loved his cigarettes. Oh, my God. But, uh, y- you know, losing him was awful. I-, I just remember, you know, you see in movies when people, somebody dies and the person faints or the- they drop the phone and you think, oh, that's just a movie. It was the first time in my life that when I woke up And my husband had gotten up about an hour before me. It was about 8 in the morning, and he stopped me, and he said, Honey, I just want to let you know that David Bowie has died. Well, all those things that I used to be skeptical about happened to me. All the air left my body, Mm. and I literally fainted. Wow. I literally, all the blood left my head. And if it hadn't been for my husband, I probably would have hit the floor pretty hard. But he—he was right there to grab me. But that was the first time that had ever happened to me, where I lost consciousness of from the shock of it. You know, that's like somebody like that. And when Prince died, Mm -hmm. I've, I've physically had to throw up you just think these people are there forever you think they're going to live forever and especially somebody like Bowie who had such an impact on all of us i i it, I
0: don't like that when Robin Williams died i cried so oh, hard oh yeah that robin destroyed
1: me. And that would be really more for your generation too especially especially your generation absolutely he was a beautiful person yeah and um one of the sweetest humans. And, and then when you look at the way, you know, somebody like Belushi, he didn't have to die. You know, he, he died from taking way too many drugs. Tom Petty d- died by accident. Yeah. Prince died by accident. Sure. Bowie went out in a way that I think all people should re- respect and admire. I mean, he pretty much said goodbye to his fans in an album in a video that you didn't really understand what he was saying until after he was mm-hmm. dead and he kept getting into that closet and I realized the closet was a coffin and that wardrobe that he yeah. g- you know and I thought to myself how genius he was not from this world no though. I don't think so either And I, I think he' think- super special I mean yeah. they-
0: there are many special artists but he was, he was one step above that even. You know, the thing about you know I've seen planet. his
1: process. I've been in the studio when he was working. I've witnessed a lot of I've witnessed the stones in the studio a lot too. But the thing about Bowie is that he just translates what he's hearing, translates what he's hearing in his head through his mouth. Like he'll go bah, 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 play that. Mm-hmm. You know. So he'll say that to like okay, to this instrumentalist, you know. I want you to go la da 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 You know, like that, instead of writing it down on paper, like a, Mm. you know. He had a very, very interesting way of relaying what he was hearing in his head. But he could get people to translate it, which was the genius of Bowie.
0: Were you around for any of the Stones records?
1: Oh, yeah, I was in the studio for, let's see, I was in the studio for some of Black and Blue, Um, Some Girls, yeah. Went to some of those sessions. Absolutely.
0: It's amazing that you got to see all that stuff. I mean, it's...
1: Well, and you know, the thing is, is that you have great bands. Now, I'm not saying there's not good bands. I mean, look at bands like the Dandy Warhols that were born in the 90s and stuff. There's a lot of great bands. I love Kings of Leon. I I, I like the Black Keys. I like Jack White. I mean, I, I like a lot of them. And they all live here.
0: Yeah.
1: But... Um, there's really never going to be that, that kind era. of music again, yeah. ever. I mean, I think that's
0: what it is, like thinking like, oh, wow, you get to witness some really
1: its just special things that will never that's, be repeated. Well, it's so funny that a, lo- a lot of musicians that I know were born either in 1943, 1948, you know, that 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 whole period of time into the early 50s, up to about 52. And. If you know anything about UFO sightings and Roswell was 48 and all those sightings in 47 before that. And then there was tons of, of, of sightings in 52 and there was a whole bunch of babies, including me, born in 53. And I've noticed that a lot of these really exceptional musicians that are never going to be duplicated, this strange breed of whatever, it was. It all came during that time. And sometimes I wonder: was there any? Was there any interference? <laughs> <laughs> see the movie Starman. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, it was loved brilliant. Loved it. Yeah. I loved Starman. Such that was Jeff Bridges. Yeah,
0: and he was excellent. His the way he, he played is that. He so
1: beautiful. Yeah, oh my great. God, he played it so perfect. He perfectly. Did, did you ever see um, Enemy Mine? Oh yeah. That's one of my favorites Absolutely. too. Because I wrote a song on my last album called "Frenemy Mine," <laughs> based on that move The title of that movie. I don't. If you ever listened to any of my records, I you, have not yet Spotify. Yeah, I'm that's so, Itunes.
0: It's all. That's yeah.
1: Itunes. You can hear all my music yeah, on Itunes. Yeah, on Itunes. Yeah, for sure. But my last album. Um,
0: you get more money from me buying it on Itunes than you mm-hmm. would from me listening to it. On you know, online.
1: I'm not really sure because um, I. BMI, I I hope <laughs> oversees all that. I get a couple checks a year, and I do pretty good digitally. I mean, I have to say, I I, um, I think things are going to probably even be better now that Dina Lapal helped get that music moderated that m- bill, m- m- yeah. the, the bill passed and and all that. But uh, I don't know. I it's just it's trying
0: uh, times for creatives. Uh, the art art and commerce have have. Jumped out of a twenty-story building, and unfortunately, commerce figured out how to fly, and art has smushed itself. Well, you know, it's gonna all
1: get worked out. I believe. I, I, there's so many fighters, there's so many warriors out there right now fighting. So I really think it's gonna, you know, I think it's gonna happen. I, I think it's gonna change. Well, the
0: National Songwriters Association has people up on the hill constantly fighting for songwriter rights. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, I, I used to get like. Twenty-five cent checks from BMI sometimes, literally, and I never even cash them. I save them. someday I'm going to have them all framed. Like I'm, am <laughs> waiting to like get. I want it to be like the biggest, like a collage as big as that. But um, the last few I've been, I've gotten have been actually checks said, I could yeah. cash, and sure. I was like, wow. Well, it starts to pile so up. So there I is thought. an improvement. Yeah, with how we're being paid. Yeah,
0: it's a slow process. And Um, my father always says, Why doesn't all the songwriters, why don't y'all just stop writing? I said, Dad, you've got to understand, they already have millions of songs in the hopper. We could all stop writing today and it wouldn't
1: matter. Yeah, no. They've got plenty of catalogs. And I find that people that, a lot of people that uh, boycott are not musicians. And I'm thinking, how can you even. You don't even know what it feels like to be the person that this is happening to. What are you achieving from this? My
0: nephew used to download free music back in the day and I sat him down and said, look. You've got to understand you have to buy this music. That's like if you went into the grocery store and stole the food from the grocery yeah, store. Yeah. You have to support the thing that you love. Yeah. It's important and from that right. point on he started buying it. Well that's music. good. Yeah.
1: You know, and just kids that, that are join up Spotify or join up iTunes or uh, yeah. It's still it's still something for the musicians. It's great.
0: It's a great tool to hear about new bands and all that stuff. And then just all I'm saying is go out and
1: buy. It made me the so content. mad though when Spotify didn't want to didn't want to <gasps> didn't want to abide by the rules of know. the new act. It, it pissed me off too. Believe yeah. me, I was not happy.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, I do know that that's how people listen to music. I know but
0: they can also buy it on iTunes I'm
1: just saying there are yeah. other
0: options where you will get a little bit more money yeah so. a little
1: bit turn- more turnaround yeah. are you gonna
0: be traveling a bunch or
1: well I traveling uh, it, it, it you know I travel when I when I when it when when it's there's a reason you know like uh, I go to New York when I have to do a job, or when I'm playing, or when I'm doing an interview, or when I'm doing this or that. I go to London to see my daughter. I go to Los Angeles for the same reasons I go to New York. I'll go to Los Angeles in November to sing f- uh, for Black Friday with Through Record Store Day with the Danny Warhols, you know that kind of stuff. Oh, you
0: have to let me but know. I've traveled.
1: I've traveled all over the world. When you've traveled as much as I have and uh, toured as much as I have. Um, Right now, I've, I'm i a little afraid of traveling. The world is not safe to me right now. I'm not saying I'm reclusive, but I like driving places. Um, you know, like next month, I'm gonna drive seven hours south so I can jump in the Gulf and while well, it's still jumpable. And um, I, of course, I'll, I'll be back in London soon too to see my, my daughter who lives there now. Yeah. She doesn't really live in this country anymore. Even though Architectural Digest did a big thing on her beautiful house in New York, but uh, her base is London now. But um, I go through anxiety now whenever I get on airplanes. Mm. I, I'm, I don't love it as much as I used to. Um, What's well, so
0: cramped? and Although you probably ride first class, but... Well,
1: it, sometimes I don't. You know, it depends on uh, if if I'm being brought somewhere. If they always get, get us business or first. Uh, but I mean, sometimes I just have to travel coach like everybody else. And those planes that fly from Nashville to New York, they're little and there's no class on them. So, you know, you have to sit like Southwest, that anyway. Yeah. It's only an hour and a half, though. Yeah, nice. I just want to get wherever I'm going if the fastest way I can. Or if I can drive there, that's even better. Yeah,
0: at this point, if I, if I can be leisurely and uh, it's a 10 hour
1: or less drive, I will drive. Yeah, instead of fly. So if I can bring my dogs, if I like when we go south, next month we'll bring our dogs and I, I like that. Yeah. I don't like leaving my dogs. But I mean, I have a house that I am responsible for, mm-hmm. which is a lot of work. I don't like to leave my house more than a week or two at a time. But um, I am starting to get ready to do some mini-touring, as we call it, So, which will be in two week-at-a-time intervals. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do Japan next year, definitely. And um, I want to do Europe as well. But I, I don't see myself as touring for the rest of my life. I, I think what I'm going to be doing as I age and, and getting older is, is more writing. You know, I'm, I'm writing my, the follow-up to Rebel Heart right now. And I want, before I present it to my former editor at St. Martin's, or before I give it to an agent, if St. Martin's doesn't want it, um, to shop, I, I want to have it done. Mm-hmm. I want a finished product. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm at that point now where writing is a discipline it's it's not just something that i love it's cathartic and it's healing and everything else but it's a discipline for me too it's something that okay i'm going to put four hours right now into this Mm -hmm. no distractions
0: how does it feel to be so exposed throughout your life? People tracking who you've slept with or who you've dated or who you marry or who your kid right. is or, you know. You just
1: get used to it. Yeah. It's been, I, and especially when I, you know, like when I read that I've slept with somebody that I haven't slept with, you know, I, I read sometimes that I've, I think they must get Paul Castle mixed up with David Cassidy or something. I met David Cassidy once in my life for like five minutes at a party. Never dated David Cassidy, never dated Rob Lowe. And uh, somebody f- f- said that in some interviews sometime. Never even met... Not only have I not dated Rob Lowe, I've never even met Rob Lowe. So... <laughs> And, I, and I've seen things about myself online where I I read this thing where this girl went on and on about what a snobby bitch I was at Princess Anne High School in Virginia Beach and how she went to school with me and was in all my classes. And I start laughing because I never went to high school in Virginia Beach. She's lying. I went my ninth and tenth grade year was in Newport, Rhode Island when my stepfather got stationed up there. My junior and senior year was in North Carolina. Never went to Princess Anne High School. So I, re- I I read things about myself all the time that mm. are not true, that are just blatant lies made up and fabricated by, by people. And uh, the Internet is an interesting place. It's the <laughs> Wild West, and you have to... Get a thicker skin. It, you know, I think when we all first started to use computers and the wonder of it all, I was very late. I didn't even learn how to use a computer till around 2003. And then when I did get on the computer, I saw these fake accounts that were all using my name. And oh, we had to hire this firm called reputation defender or something and they had to go in and and we had to make sure that all of my social networking had the blue check and uh, i mean it was a nightmare i mean i had people that were going into these chat rooms and pretending to be me when i was probably home uh... house cleaning or writing a song or cooking dinner for somebody it's been a real it's been a rude awakening. So, so basically, there's always going to be stuff out there about anybody, not just me, that isn't true. And the important thing is to just try your best to be a good person and live your life, and sure. know that you're in the same boat as everybody else. Everybody gets shit said about them on the internet. Everybody. Oh, yeah. I bet you I could find something bad about my dog, and my dog is the sweetest thing on earth. I, I mean, it's... <laughs> right now, somebody's it, typing that. I know, there's... The some, <laughs> yeah. That dog! I met that dog! <laughs> that dog every time she comes home. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I just... I think everybody has to not take it all too seriously.
0: If you had to do it all again, same thing,
1: would you... Well, I don't know. I mean, I, that's a tough question because I don't regret anything, but if I had tools in certain things that I did, would I have maybe maneuvered a different way? Possibly. But I think that we make the mistakes that we make because we're supposed to, that that it all leads to something. And... Um, I don't know if when I get into my 70s in five more years if if I'm going to be one of those people that uh, does inspirational speaking, that writes a lot of books. Uh, I kind of see that, you know, I, I kind of um, see doing courses in life lesson, you know, life lessons are important. People just overlook them. They call them mistakes and no, they're not mistakes. They're the thing that is building you to become a better person. So I, I I have a lot of things that I want to do, a lot of tricks up my sleeve. Mm-hmm. But as far as my day-to-day life, I'm, I'm happy. I have a beautiful house that we built. My husband has a fantastic job. I get wonderful opportunities where I can make good money, you know, here and there. I do little projects, little things that I do, and I get paid pretty well as a writer. And um, it's a, a wonderful accomplishment when you turn in a piece, especially when, when uh, they send it back to you for second approval and you see that, wow, they only edited like two little things. Mm. They didn't change my piece. Mm. And then you start seeing that you've become such a skillful editor from editing your own pieces for so long that you could actually even do that for a job. So occasionally somebody will call me and say, will you edit this piece for me? So I'll That's edit right. it and I'll yeah. get paid. Yeah, And uh, I do creative consultant work. I try to think of ways, you know, uh, that somebody like me who doesn't have a degree, I didn't go to college, but um, how I can make money for myself and be independent and, and still have my own journeys. Mm-hmm. So when people started calling me and picking my brain and keeping me on the phone for two and three hours at a time and then going off and making millions of dollars with my ideas, I started thinking to myself, you know, I need to stop doing this for free. So now if somebody wants to hire me as a creative consultant, they have to pay me, period. You know, I don't mind signing a non-disclosure agreement. Some of these people don't like anybody to know that they've been given grooming advice or that they've been given consulting. They want everybody to think it's their idea. Mm-hmm. So I've signed quite a few of those. Yeah. And <laughs> in, in my uh, advice giving ilks or jaunts or whatever you want to call them. But um, it's, you know, I'm not, not going to ever retire, I don't think.
0: Now that sounds awful. How did, can people find you? Where are all the different ways?
1: Well, the most visible way is Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that's R-E-A-L-B-E-B-E-B-U-E-L-L. Real B.B. Buell. And um, that's probably the the one place that I look at the most. I look at it at least twice or three times a day. Facebook and Twitter, I have it hooked up on Instagram so that when I post something on Instagram, it automatically goes to Facebook and Twitter because mm-hmm. I limit my time. Okay. I ch- I check into Twitter maybe once a day, but Facebook, I'm losing interest in Facebook. Yeah, I think we all are. Um, but we have Black
0: Friday for the single. Yeah,
1: that's on uh, November 26th is Black Friday. And, and what's happening is music store day or record store day or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It uh, usually occurs, I think, in April, is it? But... Uh, They've, uh, I guess, if you would, were to Google this, why has Record Store Day teamed up a little bit with Black Friday? And that's because a lot of people that want to buy records and product for Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. And that's what Black Friday is the biggest shopping day before Christmas. And mm-hmm. it falls the day after Thanksgiving. So that was when the Dandy Warhols. Decided through their label to release the single.
0: That'd be fun. What's yeah. it called?
1: Femme Fatale. It's a cover of the uh, Velvet Underground song. It's great. With Nico. Have you? Mm-hmm. Ever? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's me singing with the Dandy Warhols as the band.
0: Dandy Warhols used to play uh, in my hometown a lot. Come through Seattle.
1: Well, they tour a lot. They're mm-hmm. they're still very on top of their game. It's yeah. very impressive. Uh, one of the highlights of my life was February 1st, singing with them at the O2 in, in London. Mm. We did Femme Fatale, and oh, my God, it was amazing. It was amazing. Awesome. So I get a lot of wonderful special moments. Um, my relationship with them has been wonderful. I feel very thankful for it.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to reading book two.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for your. Oh, time. Oh, you're so
1: welcome. I this hope we covered it all. I think we <laughs> we ran the gamut for sure. Yeah, and and you know let's let's close it up with um, in life, you know don't don't let sexism and ageism and all the isms uh, stop you from uh, you know wanting to do things. I mean, sometimes people will say to me, "Gosh, you know, don't you want to just take it easy and slow down and." What they don't understand is if I took it easy and slowed down I would lose my sanity. I would lose myself. If I'm not you know doing something productive or something to help others or animals or if I'm not participating in 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 life and the and it's in movement. You know that's when I start to feel you know, like whenever I rarely, I rarely get sick, but whenever I get sick and I have to actually go to bed for a couple of days, oh, I don't, it, it kills me. Yeah, I, I can't relax. Just think, you know, I, I, I want to be one of those people. I want to be an ism squasher, like an ism warrior. I like it.
0: I think you are a living testament to that. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Thanks. Bye.